Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 30, which begins with Thor realizing he might have gone a bit far and ends with us revisiting a familiar car crash back on Earth. And today we are uh, bringing to an end this really fun week of having a different guest for each minute. Joining us on the show today, we have another one of the hosts from True Story FM's Family of Entertainment podcasts. It's Justin J.J. Yeager from Trailer Rewind. Thanks. It's good to be here. I love Thor. Yeah, so that's a great <laughs> hey, setup. That was my first question for you is what what do you love about Thor? Like the, the movie, the character, whatever it is. So I was a comic book collector and Thor, the, my love of Thor actually translates into the movies too. I like the Thor movies a lot more than most people. And I think part of it has to do with my my Scandinavian background. I come from a whole bunch of Scandinavian folks too. But the, the initial things that I saw about Thor when I was younger was this, you know, the whole thing with the lightning and the thunder and the, and the, and the, the, the godliness of what is brought to Thor and his connection with all of that stuff. Always, it, that's the kind of thing that I really liked as a kid. So it's still... It, it, it comes to me, it, it's grown with me in my adulthood, too. I still like all of the the God of Thunder aspects mm. of who Thor is, and I, and I really like the movies because of it, too. Awesome, awesome. We'll have a lot more with JJ right after this. We are an independent podcast from True Story FM. We have so much fun producing the show and digging in deep on all things Thor and Norse mythology, but it does take time and costs some money. That's why we would love for you to become a member and support the show. Membership means that we can deliver content to you without selling your information and interests through different podcast advertising sources. We like our privacy. We know you do too. If you're already a member, thank you so much. If you're not, please consider becoming a member for the season. It only costs $5 per month, or we offer a discounted price if you join at the annual rate. You get bonus episodes, early access to the shows, live streams, stickers, and more. Plus, you get the comfort of knowing that you are supporting this independent podcast production. Visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute to learn more. Thanks. All right, welcome back, everyone. So, JJ, let's dive right into this minute, because um, we start with Thor's face. And yeah. to me, I love the moment where the jerk realizes he's been a jerk, you know, where the person <laughs> realizes it, it's kind of that wily e. Coyote moment where they've, like, run out onto where there's no more land. And then now they finally look down and realize, uh-oh, like, to me, that's what I'm getting from Thor's face. Is that kind of yeah. what, what you're seeing there? Yeah, well, I mean, he's his arrogance, his insolence, everything that's brought him through is now washed away, and he realizes that he he doesn't have the 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 real safety of of his protection that that he thought he might have had. I think one of the things that I had to ask you guys about his face does Hemsworth's face change from this movie to the next? Well, his, he looks his eyebrows do his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Oh, we've been talking about know. his eyebrows quite a bit. That's I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing because I didn't know, but that's just this movie, right? Yes. He's just got the eyebrows yeah. thing in this movie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I was wondering if it was just this scene, oh, no. or if it was something else. But yeah, his eyebrows yeah. noticeable. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and, and uh, 
and forehead that dawning on him in this scene. It's, it, the fact that his eyebrows are that way, it made him even feel a little bit more uh, sheepish to me, I guess. If you look for the minutes uh, that we recorded with Ashley Coffin, who's a hairstylist yeah. and a frequent podcast uh, host as well, oh, that's so great. we actually talk yeah. a lot about the wig, the eyebrows. We go pretty deep nice. on it. So those will be some really fun minutes Love for it. you. I'll listen. That's great. I, 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 I just want to say, as far as his face, though, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, pairing this with the last minute in 29... Thor really goes through a range of emotions here, right? I mean, at first he's mm-hmm. so angry at his dad, and then it becomes, uh, you know, it's not so much anger, but it's it's like almost surprise at the way Odin reacts to his anger as yeah. as Odin kind of gets quiet and talks, and then and then it almost like it, it's like he starts looking sad, maybe a little a little ashamed, maybe, but then at this, by this point, it's like I, I think he's just in complete shock as to yeah. how how things have turned so quickly. Shock. I would go with shock. For me, it was vulnerability. It yeah. was it was yeah. surprise at his vulnerability of oh, all of these things that the anger or whatever he felt before he didn't realize he was he was in he was on the line for this, and that was shocking. Many years ago, I was a counselor at a summer camp, and uh, cool. just I, I wound up being at this place where most of the kids came from very well-to-do families where they had really, like, you know, taken care of the kids. I might even say spoiled. And every now and then, when I would tell someone, like, yeah, you've got to clean up your bunk, the look on their face, uh, you know, one person actually said, but, like, aren't you the maid? Like, you know, because they were used to a housekeeper, you know, like, and I don't like that at and, all. And granted, these are like 13 year olds, but are 12 year olds. Right. But that's kind of what Thor is here as well. Like the look on their face of just it had never occurred to them that there could be consequences for their actions. It had never occurred to them that they might be responsible for dealing with the stuff that they do and the mess that they make. And, and yeah, I kind of like that was a strong experience for me. But that's kind of what I see on Thor's face. Like, it's just. It never occurred to him that Odin could be, he knows he's breaking the rule, but he's like, but, but it's for glory, of course. It just never occurs to him that Odin could have this reaction. Well, that's what's so funny because like, you know, we talked about this back like in minute, I don't know, 14 or so. Mm-hmm. Sif tells him, she's like, Thor, it's forbidden. Like she pretty right. much says, I mean, she doesn't need to say much more than that. It is forbidden. Like Odin has forbidden people from uh, we don't know if it's from going to Jotunheim or or interacting with uh, the frost giants or specifically what it is but it, they all know what it is and it is mm-hmm. forbidden and he then and and so he he knows it's forbidden he goes through with it anyway using the flimsiest of excuses with his friends and gets them all to do it and so it it does make you wonder like how often have things gone on with Thor to get him to this point where he makes this decision to go confront the Frost Giants in Jotunheim, expecting no trouble. I think the inference is that it happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that I think this is the this is the final straw Strong, yeah. in something that has happened before, and I think the story, the way that the story leads us up to this minute, gives does a good job of uh, having us believe that too. Yeah. Especially yeah. because I I had not even made this connection until you said that Andy not long ago we saw how indulgent of him his mother is, you know, that she yes. likes, he's doing these ridiculous, inappropriate things, but she's just like, oh, you little scamp, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I get the sense that there have been a number of times where he did something very wrong and his mother was just like, oh, just, just this one time, we'll forget it, you know, and like, maybe that's part of what's coming here. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, well, and I think maybe the parents' faces said all of that during right. the coronation scene earlier because Freya uh, or Frigga, sorry here, Frigga, she was kind of 
rolling her eyes and like, oh, Thor, and giving him those looks as Thor was, you know, showboating in front of the crowd. And Odin stood there with a stone face, just staring at his son. And sure, it could just be that he was the king ready to lead this procession, but it also could be that, you know, he was really tired of this behavior that he saw from Thor. Yeah. And I, I think it's, we talked yesterday about how there's a little bit of regret almost. And I think that that's a part of it too. And uh, one of the, uh, Loki has a great reaction, but I was just going to jump ahead a few seconds. At, when Odin is about to kind of pronounce sentence, he hesitates for a moment and you kind of see him like look down and then like kind of collect himself. And, and I, I, I think that part of it might be that kind of sense of like, you know, he's thinking about like, what did I do wrong to get to this moment? What did I, do I actually have to do this? Yes, I have to do it. You know, there's just, it's such a complicated situation for, for Odin. So many complicated emotions. I like that. I, I, I just, you know, I, I remember in, in watching it, I'm thinking, oh, here's a dramatic pause. And for what is the effect? I love that if it's really Odin considering what he's done wrong and what it, and, and really sort of levying the punishment based on what needs to happen to make things better. I think that's, that's a great, inference to that dramatic pause as well well it's a very short beat for him to kind of process a lot of information and so it does make you wonder like did he as as soon because i mean if you think about how all these pieces fell into place like loki you know he whispered to the guards the guards told odin odin came down and rescued them from jotunheim and all of that kind of played out um but did at what point did Odin start like processing, okay, what is the punishment going to be? I mean, obviously I guess he was waiting until he got to Jotunheim to see how much damage Thor had created. And was it just Thor's reaction to everything? Like, you know, were there, was there a variety of potential options he had, or had he already like, by the time he got to Jotunheim and he saw what a mess Thor had made, had he already said, I am going to have to cast my kid out or, or what? Like, I'm curious where that, when that decision gets made, and if it is right in that exact moment. I think for me, I certainly thought that it's not till, you know, Odin says, you know, you're a vain, uh, greedy boy, and and Thor just totally unchastened spits back, you know, you're a foolish old man. Mm. To me, the sense that I got is that that's like, you know, he no might have already thought there was going to be one punishment, but that's when he kind of said, like, okay, no, this is, the, the, I, I wash my hands of this, this is done. Is that, JJ, do you get kind of a similar sense? Sure. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you get that that feeling that if if he would have had remorse, that it would have changed the punishment. I I don't know. I I think that being the looking at the setting here, that that it was all leading up to this, regardless of what was going to happen. I think his insolence in sort of spitting back, like you mentioned, only served to make uh, Odin's wrath a little bit more intense. That may well be possible. Yeah. Who who are the loved ones? Do you think? Because I mean, because we finish Odin's thought right at the beginning of this minute. The last minute, he starts it off. You're unworthy, and here he finishes of the loved ones you have betrayed. Is he just talking about himself? I mean, he says loved ones. Is he? I mean, does he feel that this is a betrayal of of everybody in Asgard? I mean, who is any idea who he specifically is referencing there? Well, he could have even meant his friends that yeah. he sort of tricked yeah. into bringing there with him and, and putting them in peril. I don't know sure. if, you know, it, because it was something that was outlawed, that it was, mm. you know, forbidden, that that really Thor's arrogance or overconfidence really could have, in a different situation, it led to disaster for some of the most important people of his life. And, and it still did. I mean, Fandral is terribly injured. Volstagg right. is injured. And like... Yeah. All of them, theoretically, are about to get punished as well. And so, yeah, I think that it could definitely be any combination of that. 
So uh, we're going to get into the actual power moment there in a second because there's so much to unpack there. But I just have to name like there's this great moment with Loki where I, he literally does what I call the tennis eyes thing. You know, you just see his eyes going back and forth between Odin <laughs> and Thor. And I just the, the actor is so good at portraying like I can see there's so much he wants to say. And he's just biting his lips so hard in that moment. And and he genuinely looks sad. Like he looks kind of, you know, there's there is some a sense of surprise as to what's actually happening here. Like, I don't feel and this is why I find Loki a really compelling character, because Thor is his brother. He genuinely does love his brother. Like, there is that family bond that they share. And we we talk about that over the course of the films. And I feel like there is a strong connection there. But at the same time, he also is okay having to kind of betray his brother and and, and kind of stab him in the back, as it were, in order to get ahead. And so that's what's interesting in this moment, is I feel like there is... Uh, a sense of of sadness at what he's done while also you know knowing underneath there's you know some excitement about you know what he's going to be able to achieve now because of this the loki character is one of my favorite characters in the entire mcu yeah. because of this and i think it, it, i don't know if at this point in the first thor movie they meant to really give him the depth that he accomplishes throughout the films mm-hmm. and then onto the television series but this is sort of the genesis of that right yeah. in that he has these complex feelings and it's portrayed so well on screen and you can see that he's afraid and excited and that the, the He's the per- the reason why this is happening to some degree, but he's also going to benefit from it. And yeah. I think that's it's just such an interesting thing for the Loki character. I think I think the fact that you know the things that happen at the end with that at the end of the MCU where Loki gets uh, gets so many things happen to him. I think it, he, he became a fan favorite because of all these things. Oh, he yeah. became very real in the way that we experience emotions, uh, in the way that we can watch him on screen. No, I think it's very true, and I we, we kind of talked about it somewhat yesterday, Andy. I don't I don't see as much of the sadness as you're talking about. I think it's a little bit, but to me, it's much more the the feigned sadness and the cunning. But I think again, that's just a tribute to how good the actor is. That it's like we don't honestly know. And I mean, if nothing else, also, literally minutes ago, he found out that he might himself not be as guardian. Um, you know, yeah, with his skin right. turning blue. So I think there's just so much happening there. Yeah, he's got a lot to process right now. <laughs> that is for sure. So let's get into a scene that seems to tell us so much, yet is kind of confusing. We've already gone into this discussion uh, on earlier minutes about what is the hammer, because in Norse mythology, the hammer is made for Thor, or, or Thor takes it. We saw the hammer when he was a child. But then what Odin says is, you know, I take away your power, and in that moment, the hammer flies into his hand, and then he you know, uh, says, he whispers to the hammer, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. What's going on here? Like, is it, is it just, is the power of Thor something that others have had? Is connected to the hammer? I, I, I'm really confused about like what, what's the power and what's the hammer's role in it and how it all plays together. Do you, do you have a stronger sense of this? Well, I, I find it confusing too, because I didn't, I, I misremembered it, right? I misremembered the sort of lore about the hammer other than coming back and reviewing this minute in that I thought it was something that was bound to Thor, like right. you described here. And this idea that it is something that can be transferred or something like this is something that I, I guess we're going to see more of as we go forward. And as we've now witnessed in, in other sort of worthiness challenges, to uh, to what Odin is saying here, we have examples later on in the MCU that show that people can use the power of Thor right. or the power that 
that the God of Thunder can possess. So I think that's really interesting. And when I talk about misremembering it, I wonder, when I watched this minute back, I thought, wait, did it start here? Is this yeah. the origin of that? Is this when that happened? Was it something different before? I I think now this is what I believe is the the beginning of that sort of uh, that sort of idea in canon. I mean, it sort of have to be because or else why was Thor able to pick it up before then when he was the you know greedy, cruel boy? Right. Yeah. Right. He wasn't uh, certainly, at least according to what we think Odin would say is worthy, he wouldn't have been. I, and I think some of it does also just go back to the comics because in the comics, when Donald Blake, the quote cripple in the '60s original uh, comic and in, in journal Journey into Mystery, when he comes across, uh, you know, Mjolnir when he you know hits the the stick on the ground and it turns into Mjolnir and he turns into Thor, it actually has that exact wording written on the hammer. And oh. so to a certain extent, it I think they're including it because it is very much kind of the Marvel comic lore as for, far as like that idea that and this is what Donald Blake, this human, was able to wield the hammer because mm. uh, not only wield the hammer, but actually become Thor and fight as Thor as long as he was holding the hammer. And, and so I think that is part of the reason that they do that. It does end up kind of causing some of this question about, you know, the mythology of of the hammer and this mm-hmm. spell that's on it. And I, but I think, you know, also to the point that you guys are making or the point that you two are making, I, I think that boils down to uh, an, another reason why Brana cut out that moment that would have been earlier during the frost giant battle where a frost giant, uh, after it falls, to, Mjolnir falls to the ground, the frost giant tries to pick it up and can't. Right. And I think that's very specific why they opted to not include that, because they were very much saying, okay, we need to make it feel like at this moment, Odin Allfather enchants this hammer. Because we see that little, uh, the triketra appear mm-hmm. and disappear right. almost like it's now an officially an enchanted hammer. And so I, I feel like that is the MCU lore mm-hmm. with the hammer. I agree. I agree. I imagine that it could have been, as part of how it was originally written, the idea might have been that at first only Thor himself could could pick up the hammer. You know, that it became kind of bound to him. But that once Odin is like, I don't Thor has to earn the right to be like Thor in all its mighty and and so then he adds the worthiness. But I think you'd have to do so much exposition for that to make sense in terms of that scene with the uh, frost giant. That I think this way is so much better to do it. Uh, you know, the hammer is made out of Uru, just like Gungnir. But and, and so theoretically, and Gungnir is only supposed to be wielded and and can be wielded by Odin. And and so to that extent, I don't know if if there's also this whole thing with Uru as far as how it gets enchanted as to who can use it. So right. I think that they end up finding a way to kind of skip past all of that, which right. would, as you said, create massive exposition just to tell us some information that, eh, do we really need it in there? Probably not. Probably not. MCU shorthand yeah. for the win. Exactly. I, I will also say that I think it's possible we're going to get more answers about this soon, especially about the one part of the spell, if we call it that, that always kind of gets my hackles up a little bit. Uh, but again, written 12 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, well, to be, 12 years ago, and then in the 60s. I mean, well, right, uh, exactly. uh, I mean that's, as I said, Fair. that's the exact wording from the comic. Because one of the words he uses is, whosoever holds this hammer, if he, he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And like, okay, oh. yeah, Odin, patriarchal society, sure, and like the language of the 60s and stuff like that. But we have a movie where a woman is going to become Thor, quite likely, possibly, forgive spoilers, but, you know, Thor, Love and Thunder, that's certainly what's being very hinted at. And so I'm very, like, it, maybe they just don't, 
they just like, eh, he means everybody. We, we don't know. But I am curious if that will be a little, like, callback in any way if a woman becomes worthy to, to, to hold the hammer and to bear up the mantle. And it makes me wonder, like, you know, is it going to be something that they even point out? in the context of the movie you know just just like they did in the star trek six i believe when they changed the language of um you know boldly go uh where no man has gone before to no one has gone before you know they were kind of explicitly say it in context of the actual movie itself um you know something like that i could see taika watiti doing a very interesting write-up of that right (laughs) in the way it goes though i'll say uh, as a a diehard star trek apologist i don't think we can give star trek credit there because i think what Kirk is saying is not man and woman. He's saying human and Vulcan, you know, and, well, and everybody else, you know. Sure, um, but yeah. Either either way, uh, yeah. get me on a Star yeah. Trek podcast at a later date, and I'll talk right. vocabulary <laughs> inclusive all yeah, the yeah. time there. Right, right, right. And and I think though also worthy uh, to mention as part of this, there's nothing that Odin says about lifting it. It's that you know, whosoever holds this hammer if he be worthy, shall possess the power. Now, I I didn't do great grammar, but my understanding of the structure of that sentence is certainly that anyone can hold the hammer, but you only get the power if you're worthy. And I guess this may just be where, like, Mm. arcane, beautiful language doesn't quite meet reality. But I think it's interesting that there's nothing specific about, like, no one can lift it. I feel like there's a semantic out in that, though, because, I mean, you kind of take this poetic stance of to be able to hold it. You need to be worthy to hold it. Right. Could be the same kind of thing. I I agree that it's not literally the same thing, Mm -hmm. but I think that um, it leads you to the the sort of right conclusion with that they that they lead us with the the rest of the the tests, the worthiness tests that we see in, in, in later movies. Well, yeah, even later in this movie, as as he's even unable to. To pick it right. up, you know, yeah. Right. So one thing that I wanted to ask about this, though, too, is he doesn't, he he sends the, the, the hammer in one direction and Thor the other direction, right? I mean, they're... No, he, well, he sends them both into, well, and, and I know we're getting a little ahead, but I mean, he sends them both into the, into the turret, you know, shooting down into the Bifrost. But doesn't, isn't it the turret pointed one direction and then the hammer turret pointed the other direction it, it did i get crossed up when i was watching it there i got i had the kind of weird moment of he's off screen to the to, to his right with thor and then to his left with the hammer they change the camera changes uh you know the position it's moving around inside uh him and bjorg here where you know he goes ah. through the process yes because he blasts when he blasts thor he hits him you know he's he's blasting screen left and thor flies off uh, that direction. And then when he throws it, as he's whispering to it, the camera is rotating and, and we kind of come around to the other side of Odin. And when we actually see behind him now, we can see out the back door, or really it's the front door, I suppose, where we see Heimdall standing. We see uh, the palace, the rainbow bridge yeah. and everything. And as he throws it, it's going down the same way. It's just the camera has now shifted to a different... Interesting. Different, I got crossed yeah. up with yeah. that in my mind as I was watching it. Yeah. Uh, it well, I wonder look- if that was intentional because of this idea that they're they're not landing in exactly the same spot. Right. You know, I, 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 yeah, know. I, I would agree with you, except for thinking of the place coming from Asgard and both landing in New Mexico. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. I know. It's, you it's, would think <laughs> that if it were two different directions, it would go more dynamically different than well, that. Well, this speaks to my confusion with all of this. Like when he puts Gungnir into the uh, the the keyhole, I guess we'll call it, w- to, right. to operate uh, and send and, and cast Thor out. Like, how does he tell it where 
to send him. It like, should go. is it yeah, is exactly. there a mental connection with whoever is like turning it on? Like, I, it's it's unexplained, and it's just part of the quote science that comes along with this whole thing that I don't yeah, understand. Science. Exactly. I, I mean, I really wonder. Like, did 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 you know? Odin choose not to send him to Norway, which is apparently where all the Asgardians have gone until now, because, you know, he doesn't want him to go to a place where they did worship him as a god 1,200 years ago. Or, I mean, my particular pet theory about this with the science of it is that, like, you know, planets are rotating, and it's just sort of wherever you're lined (laughs) up in that moment, and that's why the hammer lands, you know, close, but not exactly where Thor lands, but in a totally like different part idea. of the world. Um, but yeah. Wait. Although that doesn't I explain... Will follow that line it, of thinking. It doesn't explain how, like, when they're on Jotunheim, how they go to, well, theoretically, the exact same spot where Heimdall had dropped them off. Jotunheim is like Asgard in that it doesn't rotate. It's just a floating <laughs> just island in the sky. No, I'm just kidding. I, I actually don't know, but I think I think that there's probably some uh, some science fiction explanation for it that yeah. would that would yield that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where they just they go wherever they damn well please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you, creativity. Yeah. And then we get just one more incredible Loki reaction shot. And it's, it's you know, Thor being, like, pulled backwards. And it's funny, because normally the... We saw before, it's like the they're pulled forward by their stomach. Here he's kind of, like, bent over, because, like, there's a, a hook in the back of his pants that pulls Thor out. And Loki just has this, like, okay, that happens. Look on his face. You know, like, it's just, once again, like, the utter deadpan. So much going on behind the eyes, but he just doesn't show any emotion i don't know he looks shocked i think mm. uh you know he when he turns because he he sees thor get blasted out and then he looks back to odin and he literally like his expression on his face is one of like whoa like i mean he just looks really shocked and surprised as he then kind of descends the steps to walk down toward the bifrost i i don't think that he ever in his all of his machinations i don't think he expected that this was exactly where things are going but to your point like later in this minute like when he goes and stands next to the turret and he's just standing there and we see his face that's where i feel like okay his wheels are turning again and now he's trying to figure out how can he use all this to his advantage yeah and i apologize that was the specific moment i was talking about you know where uh he oh is I, standing. okay yeah we see him yeah. kind of on the side of the shot as thor is pulled out into the bifrost I'm just interested. I can't wait to hear the episodes with the the hairstylist to find out what she thinks about Hiddleston's hair in this movie compared <laughs> to all the rest. I mean, he looks like a drowned rat here. I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> they changed so much from what we have here in terms of their look, but he becomes, he becomes so much more godly in the way that he styles his hair mm-hmm. after these movies. Yeah. He, uh, this is little baby Tom, you know, in a way that we <laughs> right, had not exactly. expected. And, uh, uh, Ashley, among other things, heads up what they refer to as thirst cast as part of the MCU nice. podcast. So, I love she it. Has, she actually did a whole uh, uh, podcast with me about the ethics of thirst. And so she'll have a lot to say about uh, both how Tom and uh, uh, Chris look in this moment. I love it. It'll be a lot of fun. I want to jump back for a minute and just talk about, because we kind of skipped over as soon as Odin takes the hammer. We skipped kind of like that whole bit where he actually goes through the process of of the casting out, mm-hmm. where he actually sure. talks about, you know, uh, in the name of my father and his father before, I, Odin, all father, cast you out, which I think that's very, there's a lot of gravitas to that. Like, he's like taking it all the way back through history to kind of get this power to cast him out. And the way he does it, when he grabs Thor's hammer and he kind of like points it at... Thor and, and 
forces his armor, like first his all the chainmail on his right arm along with the van braces fall off, and then his left arm, and all of that kind of falls off. And, and I think that's just an interesting continuation of what we had seen in the last minute as he started kind of stripping him of his ranks, taking the different pieces off of his chainmail, taking his or off of his armor, taking his his cape off. And I, I find that a really interesting element, especially because it's now Odin wielding Mjolnir and almost using using the power of Mjolnir to kind of do this to Thor. And I, I find that like there's a lot of I, I guess power in kind of this whole moment here as he's doing that. Yeah, I I find it I I like it. I like the way it it works on screen. I like the effectiveness of the gravitas like that 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 you're mentioning there. And I almost in watching it it makes me wish that they had returned to that sort of concept that mm. of of the power or the importance of his of his uniform or of, of his costume of of all of that later on in 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 the MCU to show that and that when he was really connected with who he was and his purpose in life that he he was able to wear that proudly and this kind of stuff if it does happen it's not it's not something that's explicit it's not something that's talked about as much as it is in this moment and i like it in this in this minute of the film yeah that's something that we were talking about is like as we continue forward with the film just looking at the armor on the einherjar guards on all the other like on the warriors three and seeing like can we find any of these distinguishing elements on them that kind of mark their rank so i'm curious if we'll be able to find that throughout that's great. Right. It is also another fun um, departure from mythology in which Odin uh, honors his grandfather so much that he kills him. Uh, in one yeah, of the myths. Right. So, but I think it kind of works because one thing we talked about before is that in the myths, Odin and Thor are immortal, you know, kind of like the Greek gods. They can be killed, but they don't really age once they hit their age. And that doesn't really work for this story because the story is all about the idea that Thor will one day take over for Odin, which is never a part of the mythology. And so I do think the like, my father and my father before me establishes this idea of like that there is this chain of succession of the father deeming the son worthy that has happened before these two, because uh, that's not a part of the mythology. And so I like that kind of like little bit way to establish that. It creates a powerful... I mean, one of, for me, one of the most powerful moments in the film, like these minutes, watching this whole process of them going through this ritual of casting them out and, and uh, you know, uh, connecting it to the family, at least that we're getting in context of the film. I think it's just, it's really, really strong. It's a very compressed or, or, or quick way to explain the mythology. And by that, I don't mean the Norse mythology. Right. I mean the mythology of what we're going to experience here for Thor and his, and his place in the MCU. And I think it's done really, really well. Yeah. yeah. I definitely agree with that. So I think then we come to, we see Thor kind of like cast down to earth. Yeah. The Bifrost trip, which I will say this looks so much more chaotic. And, and so to mm-hmm. that end, like he doesn't have Mjolnir. And I don't know if like because of that or just the way he went through it, he has no control. Like, he's, like, flailing as he goes through the Bifrost this time. Yeah, I wonder if that's because he doesn't have Mjolnir or because, like, he didn't, you know, it's kind of like stepping onto a train versus being thrown onto it, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, right, right. But it looks like a much more rough Bifrost trip <laughs> than any of the ones we've seen so far. Very much so. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you think about, like, we were talking just a couple of days ago about how when Odin lands on... uh Jotunheim with his horse, it's this very majestic entrance, you know, and like everyone just can't help but stare. Uh, I think we had some fun with that idea. But here it's such a different thing. And so it's nice to see like just the Bifrost can work in very many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. 
It, well, and this is the only time actually that we see Odin operating it. Like before, well, I guess not. We'll see. Uh, no, it's always Heimdall. Even when, even when other people are convincing Heimdall to use it, it's always Heimdall operating uh, mm-hmm. the the Bifrost, except for this one moment when it's being operated with Gungnir by Odin. I'm trying to remember the order in the later movies. Is the Bifrost destroyed? Oh yeah, the Bifrost actually destroyed at the end of this movie. So of course, yeah, yeah. Right. Heimdall is. And does it ever get rebuilt in Ragnarok? Yep. It gets oh, yeah. it gets uh, rebuilt um, by the time we're in the second movie. So is there a time where the Bifrost exists after Heimdall has been killed? Or I think Heimdall's killed after the Bifrost is destroyed again. R- Ragnarok's happened right because they have left. Um, right. They That's have right. left they Asgard. Left Asgard. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Yes. Okay. And then Heimdall is killed. So yeah. we've never seen like what would happen to the Bifrost if Heimdall wasn't there. But we do well, see him operate there. it. We do see him operate it not from the observatory. Well, right. I, no, I mean like if he was dead. Yeah. Yeah, right. right. No, yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Not not at this point. Yep. But I, that that will be curious to see like moving forward now in Thor Love and Thunder. How are they traveling through the Bifrost? It's going to be interesting. I, I guess apologies for spoilers for one of the five most popular movies of all time. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, so then, of course, now we go through the Bifrost trip and we land on Earth. And this is really an ingenious thing because this is a scene we've seen before, but now it's a little bit better lit. And now we're getting, you know, we're seeing what's happening. We've seen this before, but now we know all the context for it. What, what's it like for you kind of seeing the scene a second time? I love how it plays because it, it really puts you in that, it, I mean, it, it, in shorthand, we see very quickly just the shots we need to be establishing, oh, we're right back in the place where we were at the beginning of the film. They hit, they crash into Thor. And I, I think that's a great setup for it. And if you actually go back and look at minute three, when all of this happened, and you compare shot by shot, like or frame by frame of the shot when he gets hit by the car, it's the exact same shot. But what yeah. they did is they just manipulated the lighting. So in that earlier version it's all just a silhouette of a dark shadowy figure that you can't tell now he's backlit you can see that it's thor and you you, we kind of know okay this is this is what gets us back to that place and it's perfect it's effective storytelling because we have his backstory now yeah so of course you can see him just like we the audience can see him so now he's he's illuminated to everyone and uh, and we have that i think it's i think it's a really smart way to tell the story well it answers jane's question which we left on on earth when she says where did he come from like what a great way to kind of kind of contextualize all of this and get us to this point Uh, especially because we talked about this when we were first getting started with this project the world of Asgard and the world of New Mexico are so fundamentally different. Not, not just how they <laughs> yes. look, but like the tone of storytelling, the language that's used, the, you know, right. people walking around in robes with swords versus, you know, jeans. And I think this, right. this is such a good way to show not only like the transition between the two, but the clash of the two. Cause, you know, so much of what we get next is a fish out of water story. And so we, you know, this is just such a perfect way, I think, of setting that up. Right. Slam them into the windshield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and just to, um, I, we, we haven't talked about this really since the beginning of our uh, journey here in this particular movie, but the whole meanwhile in the MCU element of this particular story, we are finally back at that place where we had been. Um, this was May, uh, technically we're on May 31st. Interestingly, and I don't, I, I guess it's just one of those things. Thor and his troops, his his um, coronation and the infiltration of Odin's vault, all of that happened on May 30th, 2010, and Thor made the decision to attack Jotunheim same day, but it must have been late in the night because 
According to uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki, he actually returns to Asgard with Odin, and he gets cast out on the 31st. So at, at some point, they, we crossed the, uh, the midnight hour. Well, I mean, Asgard to New Mexico, there's probably some time zone differences. You know? <laughs> so like, but yeah, I mean, and uh, I will say... Well, yeah, Asgard it doesn't follow daylight savings, so that yeah, changes... Oh, that's, right? that's exactly what it, it was, yeah. right. <laughs> they cross the interstellar dateline at some point, you know? Uh, I, I will say also as part of that, um, if you anyone who hasn't seen it, the third episode in the the animated show What If does a really great job of showing a different version of the three stories, but a great way of sort of tying together and showing you like the interplay of the Thor movie, the Iron, the uh, um, Incredible Hulk movie, and uh, Iron Man 2. And sure it's kind yeah. of a wonderful way. Really fun extension. Yeah, and now all I can think of is lavender every time I see thor yeah <laughs> is that lavender yeah. yeah oh and also today and going back to our one shot this same day the 31st is when agent colson starts his drive from la to new mexico so right there you right. go well that makes sense so yeah, much happening of course. yeah right okay. because we're about to have a hammer land in the middle of the exactly. desert exactly so all right well jj is there any part of this that we haven't yet touched on that you wanted to get into I don't think so. It's a good minute. There's a lot happening in it. Yeah, Definitely. Juicy is. one. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully folks who are listening here are already cl- uh, clued in to a lot of other things that the Next Real uh, family is doing. But if there aren't, tell us a bit about your podcast and what you do and where people can find you. So Trailer Rewind is a show where we kind of focus on films that you may have missed uh, that maybe didn't have a big theater release or maybe or, or or maybe you don't know about at all. The idea behind it is that Steve and I, first Steve Sarmento, the, the, the host of the show and myself, both got our start working in video stores back in the late 80s and early 90s. So we represent those kind of video store clerks that know you because you come in and watch movies all the time and we can give you an idea of, hey, this might be something you want to try or might, or might not want to try. So you can find us at truestory.fm slash trailer dash rewind. And all of our shows are available there. They go into our back catalog and things too. There are a lot of hidden gems there. A lot of people ask us all the time, oh, it's a movie that I hadn't seen before. What, what would you recommend? All of our movies that we've, that we've reviewed are there. And there's some really fun ones to check out there if you get a chance. So trailer rewind on uh, the next real True Story FM network. Definitely. Well, I, I, I think folks should definitely check that out. There's great stuff happening there. I need to ask, though, knowing you have that background, Clerks is by no means an unknown movie. It's incredibly popular. Sure. But just because right. one of the stars, Randall, is exactly the person you're talking about, the video store guy, <laughs> it, it, yeah. I, I'd kind of love to hear your commentary on that. Is that a movie you guys have ever covered? On Clerks, we haven't. Now, again, the, the genesis for this was that at one point on the, the next real main show, they would talk about trailers, right? So trailers of movies that were coming out, mm. and some of them got big releases and some of them didn't. So the idea of Trailer Rewind is to go back and take some of those that didn't get big, big releases and talk about those because, you know, maybe people didn't hear about them. So Clerks is a little bit before our time, yeah. but a lot of these have come out in the last five, ten years and, and are interesting and usually available on streaming services, too. That's a real key thing that we can find because... Everybody's stuck in their house now, and there's no blockbuster to go to anymore <laughs> to get your 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 videos from. So so uh, right. yeah, I love Clerks, and I love all the Kevin Smith yeah. uh, stuff. But uh, but that is the guy. That's who we are. Okay, that's awesome. I th- I know no blockbuster scattered around the country. There's a couple family videos which I'm convinced really? are drug fronts because I don't know how the, anyone's <laughs> making money. But you know, there's a couple of those businesses open. But yeah, nice. that's it's a great podcast. Definitely check it out. Uh, check out everything you got going on on the Next Real Family of Podcasts. Of course, if folks want to 
hear of my more of my stuff, please check out uh, Superhero Ethics Podcast or the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And most importantly, uh, Andy and uh, JJ, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. To all of our fans, thank you for sticking with us. And as always, love to hear what your thoughts are. And most importantly, have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music